640 here on News Radio 923, informative, local, dependable. I'm Andrew McKay. It's Pensacola Morning News. All right, strap in. This is going to be a fun conversation because uh, Alex Andrade is our state representative uh, for District 2 in uh, the, for the House. And uh, a new father, by the way. Congratulations. First time officially I've said it on the air, Alex. So, congratulations. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate it. So he's got a newborn. He's driving to Tallahassee, and he pulls over to take time to talk to me. Just, you know, <laughs> the man does a few things. I love it. Anyway, and also a lawyer. Uh, in his day life, he's the uh, attorney for the city of Milton, uh, among other things. But, okay, so uh, you have filed a bill, HB 951, and this is the bill, the title of it is defamation. And it's designed, it, as I've read the bill now, and as you know, you and I have talked a little bit, this is the follow-up to what Governor DeSantis did about two weeks ago when he convened this roundtable to talk about defamation, libel, media, anonymous sources, uh, uh, harm to people's reputations or individuals, and primarily within the context of New York Times versus Sullivan, this incredibly famous Supreme Court case in which the malice standard was created. The bill is interesting. My first question is, um, are you trying to work within the framework of New York Times versus Sullivan and sort of tinker with some of the stuff? Or are you really intending this as a challenge to New York Times versus Sullivan? Um, So I I, I would preface it. I I consider it more of like a challenge back against uh, that concept of New York Times versus Sullivan. And for the folks listening, um, the concept of New York Times versus Sullivan was the New York Times ran a, a, an ad, um, and uh, it was uh, it offended the subject of that advertisement. This was back in the civil rights era. Uh, a public figure, I believe, in Alabama was offended by their depiction in this advertisement that the New York Times ran. And the question was, you know, does this public figure really have a right to be protected um, you know, and does the New York Times have some responsibility to verify um, the the language and advertisements that they happen to be running? And you know, at the time, you know, the kind of subject was, you know, we we expect public figures to have somewhat more thick skin, so there's a higher standard applied when public figures trying to for defamation. Um, and, and by the way, just in, in the case, the ad did contain some minor factual inaccuracies. And so what they ran did have some falsity in it. And that's where the police chief brought his case against them in court. And eventually, The New York Times was exonerated in this malice standard that you have to show you either knew the thing was false and had malice toward the subject or that you were negligent in following the facts. And you should have known that it was false before you published it. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. And so so the two big questions in defamation lawsuits and, and I, you know, I've, I've filed defamation lawsuits. I, I represent Kerry Smith, uh, the county commissioner of Santa Rosa County, against uh, uh, Mark Subley, the consultant that ran a, a defamatory mailer saying, you know, some awful things about him. But um, the two big issues always in defamation are, well, how do you prove damages? Because a lot of times the, the, the method of calculating damages is very difficult. And then what's the what's the standard applied for liability and for public figures? The standard currently is some type of actual malice. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of courts interpret that to mean some type of really uh, uh, egregious intent and in, like true intent to cause harm to the person. Um, and not only that, but, you know, knowing that it was false when you published it with your intent to cause harm. And it's just an incredibly high standard a lot of times to meet. Um, and because of such a high standard, there's been kind of a, um, a, a lax approach from a lot of media outlets when it comes to fact-checking things before they run it. I think the best example was Newsweek, of all people, 
ran a ran an article uh, two weeks ago about Matt Gates. The only source of that information for this article was Rebecca Jones, who they had to acknowledge had admitted guilt and admitted a felony, had lost a, a campaign against Matt Gates, and they had to acknowledge all these egregious things about how unreliable the one source was for this information. And they still published this article just based on her claims, even though she's a you know, she's been proven to be a liar time and again. Um, the standard's just so incredibly high that, you know, you have media outlets right now that don't really take it seriously. And you and part of that's in the bill are things like if you fail to corroborate the evidence that you're reporting, that is presumptive evidence of actual malice. If you use an anonymous source only or anonymous sources only, that is presumptive uh, uh, defamation, presumed to be false, essentially. And so what you're trying to change is not so much the proving of the heart of the publisher. You're just proving the failure of their diligence in terms of establishing the factuality of the things that they're publishing. Um, now, my, my oh. question go, – go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's the dangerous part about the media currently is people – assume that the media is doing the the basic fundamental due diligence that we've come to expect. We expect journalists to have two sources at least before they can publish a piece. But we also have people that engage and they hide behind the opinion section of a of a, a media outlet and they they only use one source and they publish something like fact, which you know, things that are verifiably false. Um I have my own personal examples of that. Yeah. Um and, uh, so and, and, and also, and, and, and sometimes the, you know, the game is, um, well, I haven't been able to verify whether anybody else is saying this, but I wanted to bring it to you anyway. Well, the answer there is you don't go with that. <laughs> I mean, you can't like, I have all kinds of things that I do not say on the air uh, that would be very important if they were true, but I've never been able to find somebody else either on the record or somebody else to corroborate it. You know, and so that's just the job. That's the gig. You don't report stuff until you have better confirmation of it being true. Uh, Alex, hang on, but but not everybody does it that way, and that's the sad part. Uh, Alex, hang on for me for just a second. We're talking to Alex Andrade, our state representative. Let's get candy in here with traffic on the fives. And uh, taking a look around, good news is we're not showing any of those slowdowns or delays. It looks like uh, everything is running clear. All exits off I-10, I-110, Reporting as clear, and certainly if you see an accident or a slowdown, 437-1620, text it in. News Radio 92.3, informative, local, dependable. Thanks so much, Candy. One of the other side, not side, but one of the other key things that you've got in this bill is a recognition that the federalization of defamation law has been harmful to defamation law itself, being able to keep up, for example, with technology. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. So uh, for, for the folks listening at home, um, because we're, you know, a system of 50 separate states and there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, power that comes in each state to, to dictate kind of our, our rules and engagement and our, our societal, you know, uh, boundaries, um, we're supposed to be able to set things like our private causes of action. You know, the elements of specific torts and statutory causes of action in Florida are very different than they could be in California or Oregon or even Alabama. Um, so uh, in this one context, um, the Supreme Court, after New York Times versus Sullivan, really kind of took those reins away from uh, each individual state in one type of, you know, tort, one tort action, defamation. Um, because of that, it's become a very centralized uh, system where it's, you know, even a lawsuit on defamation is now somehow de facto government action. 
Um, what this bill is really trying to say is, no, this is still a private cause of action. This is a cause of action between two private individuals. Um, the standards for proving harm, the standards for bringing this cause of action, the jurisdiction to oversee this cause of action, those should be things that are left to each individual state to dictate. Um, so bringing it back to that type of state model will allow us to really try and address it. And, you know, hopefully other states take note and, you know, they they come up with their own plans. And, you know, in a, a, a decade or a few years from now, we, we kind of have a better idea of where this should land. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Much all know that it's not right right now. Exactly. And I also one of the other elements of this uh, proposed law that you've got is, you know, the availability to win attorney's fees if you prevail, which, of course, is not true right now. Um, the uh, also the ability for you not to have to be called a public figure just because you did some interview or because you were on a video that showed up on social media or because you filed a libel claim that doesn't make you a public figure or just because you happen to be a government employee, not an elected official. I, these are all I look. I read the law. I thought it was very very interesting. And obviously what's going to play out here is you guys are going to pass this law if you do, and the governor's going to sign it if he does. And then somebody's going to get sued over defamation. And then, you know, the plaintiff is going to win and it's going to go to the Florida courts following this law. And then they're going to say, whoa, 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 New York Times versus Sullivan. And the Supreme Court's going to have to weigh in and decide whether the law stands or not. So we're a long way from real outcomes, but this is how processes get started. Hey, other thing, I just wanted to real quick, and I know this is not a fair thing to get into with so little time, Alex, but Today at the Supreme Court, there's one of two very interesting cases being heard. This one is having to do with YouTube publishing and promoting ISIS videos to other viewers. And the reason they're being the, the reason this case is interesting is because if the algorithm that promotes things to you is speech, on the one hand, you can be held accountable for it, and Section 230 doesn't protect you. You can be, again, in the realm of defamation or in the realm of actual harm. You know, you can be sued for that um, if there's actual harm. But the flip side of that is, if the algorithm is speech, then social media companies are speaking, and there are protections for that. I don't like that implication because I'm, I want to regulate the social media companies. So why don't you take a minute or so and take a crack at some of that stuff? Yeah, so the, the idea of Section 230 in federal law is protection from these websites, the, the Internet. Um, the, the initial claim was, well, we're just passive platforms for other people's speech. We should be exempt from these defamation lawsuits, private causes of action. The state of Florida, we, we try to regulate big tech, and we regulate it on, in a, on a concept of consumer protection. Yeah. Um, you know, that everyone should understand the rules that they're living by. Everyone should understand exactly what playing field that they're on. We didn't try and regulate content. Um, the, you know, I'm perfectly fine opening up 230 and saying, no, some websites that are engaging and trying to steer eyeballs, trying to control the viewer experience, the, the participant experience, they should be subjected to private causes of action. The internet is now a fully, fully fleshed out industry. It no longer deserves special protection to allow it to grow without private causes of action, without, you know, plaintiff's lawyers getting involved. At this point, it's an established entity. It's an institution. It's, you could argue, the most important institution in most people's daily lives. And it shouldn't be exempt from, from you know, the societal norms that we've come to expect in every other instance. So um, I'm looking forward to the Supreme Court considering that, taking those other instances into account. And, you know, hopefully it'll, again, yield some some you know, good outcomes for better actions and activities on behalf of, you know, internet companies that have kind of, you know, operated without much restriction 
in the way of, you know, common decency for the past several decades. Right. And just like New York Times versus Sullivan has been protecting media companies from what they do that winds up being defamatory. Uh, Section 230 has been protecting social media companies from what they facilitate that is defamatory or worse. So, yeah, they're very closely connected philosophically. Alex Andrade is our state representative for District 2, uh, heading over to Tallahassee. Uh, Alex, as always, thank you so much for the time and the thoughtful commentary on the events, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.